Great podcast today. If you missed the the Fanny Willis or Fanny Willis uh, case yesterday in the testimony, it was great fun. And we share some of that with you. Also, uh, a very optimistic look at the world around us in hour number two of the podcast. Uh, and then we talk a little about AI and where that's headed. Everything you need for a Friday, including a lot of laughs on today's podcast. Brought to you by Real Estate Agents I Trust. If you've ever had spectacular service, you didn't just notice it. You were captivated by it. You're, you're watching these people and you're like, I love this. They love their job and they have found a way to do it with such a great spirit and they just make sure everything's buttoned up. That's the kind of service that we want you to find with Real Estate Agents I Trust. Realestateagentsitrust.com. You go there. You don't have to search for the best real estate agent in your area. Do you know even know how to interview them to find out? I can sell your house. Okay. I mean, I don't even know what to ask. That is until I started working with uh, what the Wall Street Journal calls the 500 best real estate agents in the nation. Uh, and they taught me a lot. And now I, uh, we put together something where we can introduce you to these real estate agents. And we have personally vet every single person. We, we know them. We watch them. We have put them through the ringer. You know, for us to recommend them to you, I want to make sure that they are the best in your area and they're going to treat you right. They're the top sellers. They know the best practices to get the job done right and right the first time. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Find the one that can help you buy or sell your next house. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. So Fanny Willis uh, admitted yesterday a lot of things. Uh, you know, her... Her attorneys were trying to keep her from testifying, uh, and they were in the middle of making the case, and she just walked up there like a strong, proud black woman, and she stood there, and she's like, mm-hmm, I'm coming to testify, and she did. And uh, nobody could keep her from from stopping uh, talking. You know, the one thing that you learn, if you've ever had to do anything like this, is don't don't volunteer any information. Answer the question and that's it. Yeah, but no, I should explain. No, don't. You'll open up too many cans of worms. Don't. Right. Your job so is not to be entertaining. Your job is not to f- fill in the holes in the story. Your job is to give as little as information as possible while answering the question. That yes. is your job in that situation. She took her job more as I was trying out to be the next host at MSNBC. Oh, that it, that's exactly what she was doing yesterday. Here she is on the witness stand uh, when questioned about cash that she used to reimburse Nathan Wade. Listen to this. I always have cash at the house. That has been, I don't know, all my life. If you're a woman and you go on a date with a man, you better have $200 in your pocket. So if that man acts up, you can go where you want to go. So I keep cash in my house. And I don't keep cash as good in my purse like I used to. um, I don't go on many dates, but... When you go on a date, you should have cash in your pocket. So my question was, where did that cash originally come from? <laughs> if it didn't come out of the bank. Cash is uh, fungible. It's fungible. I've had cash for years in my house. 
So for me to tell you the source of when it comes from, when you go to Publix and you buy something, you get $50, you throw it in there. When it's been my whole life. When I took out a large amount of money on my first campaign, I kept some of the cash of that. Like to tell you, I just have cash in my house. I don't have as much today as I would normally have, but I'm building back up now. So you just put money in. It's a very good practice. Mm. I would advise mm. it to all women. So in other <laughs> words, so in other words, she used to have tens of thousands of dollars of cash. Mm -hmm. And she got that cash by building up, by going into the grocery store and buying her groceries. <laughs> Wait, you would have to pay with cash to get change back. So she would take a hundred dollars out and she'd get fifty dollars back in change, and that's how she built up the cash. Now, also, I don't do this anymore. I mean, I I I spent it all. Wait, you you spent most of it? I'm building it back up. So we don't there's nobody that can testify or we can't ask you how much cash do you have now? Because if you had forty thousand dollars in cash, I mean Usually that's I mean, that's something that I, I would think that maybe, you know, you could have that amount of cash. But isn't that something like the bank notifies and goes, I think they've got a lot of cash. <laughs> um, yeah, it's but like, she admits that you, it's from her first campaign, which I believe the cash from your campaign is pretty tightly regulated. And, you know, I don't think you imagine if anybody if I'm running, I'm like, yeah, I just keep all those con campaign contributions in my house. <laughs> now, I will say, uh, again, we would never get the benefit of any defense uh, if if this, the situation was reversed. But to be fair to her, hearing I the way the show, I know, I, I know it sucks because of that. I know it's that we try sucks. to be fair. We never get it in return. I, I will be but fair to her ahead. on this one point, which is she at another point in this testimony did talk about taking out $50,000 for her campaign of her own money. So it was not camp. It was not like she was saying I, I took donations and then kept them in cash at my house. She was talking about a large amount of cash she took out to pay for her own campaign. And I think she's trying to refer to what was left over. Um, now she did also say she was almost broke. After that campaign, so not a lot of would be left over, I would think, if you're describing yourself as broke to an author. Um, Especially but, if you're adding to that pile by taking from that pile to get change. Right. Well, and th <laughs> that's the thing, Glenn. Like, if you get into an, a conversation, let's say, with the IRS, like, let's say they have a tax issue with you. Oh. They don't take a, well, look, cash is fungible. I don't know where it came from. Like, that, that that's, you, you don't get to answer that no, way. No, the only you people have to I've know. ever... The only people I've ever heard say that are drug lords. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I've i never heard that before. In fact, I've heard the opposite. If you do have cash, make sure you have a receipt with that cash so you know exactly where that cash came from. Yeah. I've and, always heard that. Right. I, the, like, the, the cash part of this is so unbelievable. I mean, look, do some people have cash? Yeah, some people have cash. Some people pay for things with cash. I mean, like, that's not completely out of, the, out of the realm of possibility. What is out of the realm of possibility is taking this, you know, these large gobs of cash and paying for exactly half of trips that you're going on with your boyfriend. Like, that is just, it, it, like, 
it's just not that is not realistic. This did not occur. Uh, it, you know, it's just not the type of thing that that goes on, especially when you add on the fact that the boyfriend then does nothing. Does no, there's never a deposit he makes with all these thousands of dollars? I mean, just it's so completely unbelievable. And like they think they've talked themselves into this untraceable victory here. Like they just, oh, well, they can't prove that this didn't happen, which probably is true, right? I mean, you could get witness testimony, but that's about it. It's probably going to be really hard to prove that that cash went, did not go from her, you know, magical stash to his magical stash with no record of it anywhere. It's going to be hard to prove that. But I mean, does the question is, does the judge actually buy it? And I, I can't believe that he would. I mean, how how could he? I mean, the regulations, Glenn, say, according to the attorneys in the case, that she's supposed to report any gift of $100 or more. And we have multiple trips of thousands and thousands of dollars where this that woman is going for. to vacations. I've never, I've never been to Napa Valley on a vacation. I've never been to Aruba on a vacation. Uh, but, you know, she's taken really fancy trips for a public servant. Listen to the hatred. <laughs> Listen Wait, to the hatred. All right, let have. me let me let me hit you up on this then. If you're just going right. to hit me on the hatred, let me ask you this. Okay. Because I got I got this. They, these so, are, by the way, that's all I have, Stu. That's the only that's thing you can. Defense. That's why <laughs> yeah. she's using it. Well, that's why she made that speech at the church where she said, "Like, yes. can you believe yes. they're going after these black men and a black woman? This is all about race." I immediately jumped to that because there's no other way to justify this behavior. It's obviously a problem, but like. There's this other thing. Their interaction was f- fascinating between Wade and and Willis. W- Willis continually kept talking about bizarre relationship details that she was not being asked about. <laughs> did, did you notice this? This was fascinating. Oh yeah, no. How could if you watched it? Yeah. How could you miss it? At, at one point, like she kept making this distinction as when their relationship ended she claims it ended in august and he she he didn't say this but she claims that he thinks the relationship ended in june or july because that was the last time they had sex and she kept bringing this up like you know you know how men are men think relationships stop the last time you have sex and i believe it stops when you have an uncomfortable conversation the breakup conversation well hang on just a second Mm -hmm. Stu. May I just point out, he also believes that his marriage is over, uh, you know, long before the divorce proceedings. When you're testifying, did you have an affair during your marriage? And the answer is no. And you're still married Mm -hmm. and seeing someone. You don't get to say in a court of law, well, yeah, but that's not how I define marriage. Right. <laughs> so it's these people. So you know, go ahead. I will say yeah. in this day and age, you do get to occasionally make up definitions of marriage. That is something yes. that we have yes. learned over the years yes. you are occasionally yes. able to do. <laughs> uh, but, but so she so she was saying, okay, well, that's how men think. Now, again, I guess you're just able to just trash all men. That's how men think. Now, I don't of no guy who's like, actually... We broke up on Tuesday, but I think of the relationship ending last Thursday because we hooked up last Thursday. Like, I don't know, guys, who think it that way, but okay, let's just take that as it is. Then, that was not something they were asking about, though. They were not saying, like, 
you know, oh, and she wanted to tell this story. She wanted to tell the story so bad. And then she says he, you know, she starts going into the details of their breakup conversation and the attorney cuts. Now, you're not supposed to do this as an attorney. You want the you want the witness to just run their mouth and hopefully give you details you didn't think were coming. The attorney cuts her off and says, yeah, no, I'm not asking about the details of your conversation. You don't need to go into that. I'm not asking about that. She interrupts him and says, oh, well, you should ask about that. Because hey, now, wait, 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 wait. I have to also lead that she went on a rage mm-hmm. about how she was being personally violated. Her her most important relationships have been right. hung out for everybody to see, and it, she is offended that anybody would do that to her. Right, and then she's privacy just violations, giving all sorts of details, and multiple times tries to bring up. That Nathan Wade, the guy she was sleeping with, had erectile dysfunction problems. She attempts to do it multiple times, and the right. attorneys and keep cutting like, about, I'm, re- I'm really grossed out. We don't need to we know. We don't need to know this information. <laughs> and at one point, and, and eventually she gets to the point where she can bring it up. Because he, he, the, the, the attorneys are trying to get the timeline of this relationship. Again, multiple witnesses are saying it started in 2019. They're denying that. So he's like, well, what about in 2022? Did you guys have a relationship? Her point on that is it was impossible for us to have a relationship because he had some sort of cancer, which apparently gave him erectile dysfunction. Um, and th- again, they keep trying to cut her off before she says this stuff. She eventually gets it out. And then hang, says, hang, hang. and then says, uh, I'm sorry. She she says, well, I mean, he had issues that would make a relationship impossible, if you know what I mean. But I am not going to emasculate a black man. And the, the attorney's like, did it? Wait, wait a minute. What? <laughs> like we didn't ask you about this? And he's so shocked. He's like, uh, what? And she says, I will not emasculate a black. Man, and then sits back. I in need her that chair. audio. Oh, I need that audio. It was incredible. <laughs> and you got to think this guy, Nathan Wade, who's, by the way, trying to share this BS story about cash payments and when the relationships start. Like, they're, like some, they're on the same team. They've obviously arranged this story. And he's like, Why are you talking about my wiener? There's no reason. <laughs> to, why, why, why is that? Be, why, why are you doing that? Stop you wouldn't bringing ask that me up. about a relationship if but, you saw his wiener that's basic that was her defense dare you (laughs) (laughs) this guy couldn't perform at all let me tell you about what he tried to do this one time ma'am stop can i ask you this what i find so infuriating is their logic never never meets It, it is never complete so on one hand uh, she is talking about how we can't have a relationship. It's impossible. He just asked if your relationship, I can't, we couldn't have because his wiener wouldn't work. <laughs> Earlier, when she's asked about relationship ending, she says, guys only think right. of that as sex. Women think of it differently. Wait, no, apparently you think about the sex too because they asked you about your relationship. Not, you know, yeah, she not his impo- wiener. Mm-hmm. She said it was impossible without that factor. And then later on said that it's the exact opposite stance. Exact opposite.
All right, back to the podcast in just a second. Patriot Mobile is on a mission to glorify God, also to protect and defend our God-given rights and constitutional rights and freedoms. How do they do that? Well, they decide that the best, and I think this is right, the best charity is great capitalism because then they can make something that people want and they can really hit it out of the park They can make money, and then they can take their profits and do with it what they want. And what they want to do is protect the Constitution. They have affordable plans for your budget, excellent coverage, top-notch U.S.-based customer service. This is the parallel economy. This is what these other phone companies, the big phone companies, are doing on the left, but they don't tell you that. These guys are telling us who they are and what they're trying to do. Switch now. PatriotMobile.com slash Beck. PatriotMobile.com slash back or call 972-PATRIOT. 972-PATRIOT. Now back to the podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. A man whose uh, church I wish I could attend if I lived in the area, I would be there often. Josh McPherson, welcome to the program, sir. How are you? I'm very good, Glenn. Thanks for having me back. Sure. So when you when I brought you in last time, you were you sat in my studio and you're like, I, I don't even I have no idea why I'm even here. And, uh, and it was that's very true. That was a little confusing experience. Yeah, because uh, we called you out of the blue. But I as I told you there, you have a you know, you have a global reach now if you're on if you're online and you're posting stuff, you never know who's watching. You never know who's listening. And I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed it. What was the uh, what was the take when you got back home? Uh, oh, oh my gosh! Well, uh, lots of different experiences, but I think largely just uh, so many of the people in our community, especially in our church, are just so grateful for you, your impact, your reach, uh, your clarity, uh, your curiosity. As I mentioned on your show, your humility, and just your willingness to invite, like I said, a, a hick from the sticks to to come on your show and talk about Jesus. So a lot of, a lot of excitement, a lot of gratefulness. And uh, like I said, you know, you gave my family top 10 experience of our life uh, with the after show, after the podcast, the things we got to see there at your place. So we were very, very grateful. Very grateful. Well, Josh, uh, I'll, I'll give you the, I'll give you the hundred bucks. I promised you if you said all those nice things. So you did a good job. It came (laughs) off sincere. Uh, I remember it was was 200. (laughs) Uh, all right josh uh, i want to i want to take this and break what happened uh down uh at lakewood church uh, the shooting there and i want to break it down the way you have you've broken it down one piece at a time starting with on a human level because you go through on a human level practical level social level political level theological level and it really helps you think clearly so let's yeah. let's start with this story on a human level. Yeah, I, uh, we, we were we were chatting as a pastor. You see something um, that happens like this, and it's so tragic and it's so complex, and instantly it can become politicized. Instantly, it it can be weaponized from from one side of the aisle to push for some sort of crazy legislation. To to and, and the focus goes the wrong way. It goes to the wrong problem. And as a pastor, you look at it and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. On a human level, at its very basic starting point, this is tragic and complex. There are no easy answers, um, especially when you have what I would consider to be a mentally unstable woman who thinks she's yes. a man, but potentially on hormones. We'll never know that if that, if she was, that'll never get out. Um, and she takes her seven-year-old child into harm's way. 
while she is going to attempt to harm other people, we can just start with the fact that this is tragic and complex. It's complex for her family, um, her former husband, her in-laws, her Jewish in-law, mother-in-laws, already on the news. It's tragic for her friends, her coworkers, that child's friends. And then you get into the security team at the church, the Sunday school teachers of the church, the pastoral team of the church. Now, every single person attending that church has to deal with the fear and anxiety. Is it safe to go to church again? I have people in my church, Glenn, who've been a part of, of kind of mass shooting events at concerts, couldn't go outside for years, couldn't go yeah. back out in public for years. And so just on a, on a basic human level, I think this, uh, and to be helpful pastorally, we start with the fact it's tragic and complex. And that's where we used to pause for a while. You know, that's right. I've been doing radio for f- almost 50 years. And, yeah. you know, you, you there used to be a time where you didn't joke, you didn't make it political, you didn't That's do right. anything. It was right. a moment of pause and reflection, right. and the whole country did it. Now it goes, right. if it even goes to the human level, it's not there very long. That's Let's, exactly right. And, and we're lesser for it. I mean, if we as a, a society can't come together and acknowledge the human element, that this is tragic at every level, then, then, then we're less human and we're missing something very, very profound. So on a practical level... The next thing you uh, looked at. Yeah, the, the, the next thing that I thought was, thanks be to God, there was leadership in place. I don't know this church very well, the leadership at all, but thanks be to God, they had the sense to um, take initiative to prepare for evil. And that's, that's the job of leadership, is, is we, we, we don't make war on things because we hate what's in front of us, but we love what's behind us. And part of being a stronger man, sort of being a good leader, is preparing for worst-case scenario. And so... Um, you know, our nation may not be taking very good care of our borders, but thanks be to God, there was a pastor in, in, in Texas who was willing to take care and prepare to protect the people of his church. So on a practical level, having spent six years in law enforcement myself uh, and having been put in situations where weapons were drawn and was instant, moments away from having to make a life or death decision myself, uh, I, I guess my first instinct was it, it's tragic as, at a human level. And then I was instantly grateful for good guys with guns which is the only thing that will stop bad guys with guns. Then the social level. You you asked here, are we even listening? Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Camille Pagley, I don't know if you're familiar with her. Um, uh, she's actually someone I've listened to quite a bit. I actually really enjoy her. and We're kind of odd bedfellows. Um, she's she's a, an atheist, um, lesbian, self-identified like lesbian, transgender, um, professor of Yale and, and, and kind of higher learning. And, hold on just um, a, hold on just a second. America, did you just hear this? A pastor who listens because there's always something to learn from somebody, even absolutely. if you disagree with them. There's always something to learn, and you listen and you don't hate. God bless you. Yep. All right, go ahead. <laughs> Well, I was listening to one of her lectures, and she's just, she's just naturally curious, and she's very intellectually honest. And so I've, I've followed her for several years and just kind of watching the journey that she's on. And, and when she speaks, she makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that she talks about is she studied androgyny. She's written dozens of books on it and papers, and it's kind of the, the blurring of, of, um, of, of men and women. And she talks about, historically, she's very intelligent. She talks about the fact that it's inevitable that uh, when a society fixates on androgyny, it is, um, it is undeniable and um, indisputable late-stage culture. 
It's a telltale sign that that culture is in its late stage of collapse. She goes through, um, she goes through uh, the Greek Empire, the Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Roman Empire, and she shows what, what, the, the the Weimar Republic, the the Republic of that, Germany. It was la- late exactly stage. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. She, she referenced that as well, and and she talks about the the social contagion that she calls this kind of transgender fixation with androgyny. And the crazy thing is, Glenn, she points to each one of those cultures, each one of those cultures and their fixation on androgyny felt they were being two things. One, sophisticated and compassionate. And, and, and as, a, as a self-avowed atheist, lesbian, transgender person, she says, I am grateful that there was not a crazy government mechanism in place to pull me into making decisions that I would have regretted the rest of my life when I was 12. Because in my state, Glenn, it's illegal for a government school teacher no. to, to, to reveal to a parent that their child wants to use different pronouns at school. And it's legal for the government schools to transport that child to a, quote, gender therapy center to begin hormonal treatment without their parents' consent. And, and, and that is absolute insanity. And so we have to recognize what's happening here and stand up and say something again about it. Uh, so on a social level, are we listening when you take a mentally unstable woman and encourage her to be a man? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Next, you talked about uh, political, on a political level. Well, uh, it's crazy to me, and I think there's a wide consensus of this in our nation. I think I hope there is, that there's just no ability to understand the the pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas, pro-terror movement sweeping our nation, quote-unquote, at least as we see snippets of it in in the news, uh, because the there's no question as to the agenda of Hamas, the agenda, the, the agenda of that terrorist group. And, and my, my question was like, like, like she had um, indisputable pro-Palestinian free Hamas messages on her person, on her gun, um, in her, in, in, in her social sphere that's being investigated. And it's like, are we learning anything about terrorism here? They are radicalizing the mentally unstable. They're radicalizing the weak and vulnerable. They're radicalizing the disenfranchised. And they have one message. It's not love. It's not peace. It's not um, doing to others as you have them doing to you. It is um, murder, kill, destroy. And we know that's satanic because that's Satan's playbook. The Bible says that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you parachute into a town and rape women and murder children, like, you, you are running the devil's playbook, whether it's in um, uh, Gaza, uh, Israel, or in Houston, Texas. So we've gone through human level, practical level, social level, political level. The last one uh, is really your purview as a uh, pastor, a theological level. We're with Josh McPherson. Uh, You need to follow him, uh, Pastor Josh McPherson. You can follow him on Instagram uh, at Pastor Josh McPherson. His uh, website is gracecitychurch.com. I think this man is, I think he's the real deal. Uh, and I've been I've been looking for pastors like this, and I've found many of them. Uh, this guy, I just for some reason really connect with. You're listening to the best of Glenn Beck. Check out the full show podcast to listen to the rest of this interview. Navalny, you remember him? Yeah. He was the, probably the most prominent opposition leader uh, of Putin in Russia, and. Uh, and the Russian courts found him guilty of all kinds of things. There were a lot of charges against Navalny, and they finally got that guy and put him away. 
Ooh, can you imagine? Super legitimate legal process that led right. to that. Right. Mm-hmm. Imagine what it's like to live in Russia. Aren't you glad you live here? So uh, he, we told you a couple of weeks ago, uh, he was taken from, I think he was in Moscow, and he was taken in the middle of the night someplace. His attorney didn't know where he was for, uh, for like two weeks. Finally, they say, we took him to the Polar Wolf Arctic Penal Colony. Now, this is a place, it's in the Arctic Circle. And uh, there is no escape because you go outside and you die. So I, I didn't think this was good for him. You know, I don't think anybody thought, oh, well, he's going to kick back. <laughs> you know, I, I think there were some people that thought he didn't even make it there, you know, somehow or another. Oh, it's just he caught a cold. It was breezy in his head because they found a hole in his head. Um, but he was out walking. Ready? He was out walking last Friday in the polar world, uh, polar wolf Arctic penal colony. Apparently, he liked to go outside and walk. Now, does that sound like something in the wintertime, Stu, that you would recommend? You know... No, I would not. And it's, you know, I'm not a fan of exercise generally, but I think this is the type of exercise you should avoid for sure. Yeah, it's, again, in the Arctic Circle. Mm. So uh, he apparently just loved to walk outside and they'd let him. And they said that, uh, you know, 47 years old, he's the guy who went after the corruption and opulence of the crooks and thieves of Russia's elites and uh, Putin. And they said he just went went outside for a walk, and then he came back in, and he felt unwell. Uh, And then, you know, they brought him back to the cell, and he fell unconscious almost immediately. Uh, and the prison said, quote, all necessary uh, resuscitation measures were carried out, mm. which did not yield positive results. Oh, and I'm kidding me. No. And mm. I am sure they strapped electric wires to him and beat his chest. To, <laughs> uh, that's not the way we would mm. put it here. I'm sorry. But <clears throat> so uh, Putin was told about the death and he said, hmm. All broken up. All broken up. Mm. Uh I think he might have been a little sad because he didn't get to throw this guy from a window, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a really shock, a huge shocker uh, that uh, that this happened. I was really surprised. The most surprising death of all time. Yeah, and I don't think anything else could be said except this. Um, when I first was told the story, uh, I heard them say, yeah, he was on a walk at the polar wolf and i didn't know that was the name of the prison and i just i misheard them i thought they said he was on a walk on the polar roof arctic penal uh, penal colony mm-hmm. and so and just kept walking forgot to take yeah, the left thought, hand turn that's really not a good th- i mean in any in any way shape or form you're in russia don't walk on the roof uh <laughs> just they Fair. have a problem. I, I don't know if they're all slippery or what, but a lot of people fall from the roof. I imagine the, the the balls of this guy are like two in the middle of all of this going on. Like he has no fear at all for any repercussions as to his actions of just killing people no. <laughs> that, that, that oppose him. Has no. no. I mean, all the all the the 
the microscopes that are on every one of his actions right now and does not care at all. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's incredible. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, we have somebody who's listening earlier to the program. A friend of mine wrote in uh, because we were talking about uh, uh, Fanny uh, Willis opening herself up to uh, embezzlement investigations um, because her cash. Uh, do we have that clip? Can we play that clip, please, of uh, Fanny Willis talking about the uh, the cash that she has? Cut to. But I always have cash at the house. That has been. I don't know, all my life. If you're a woman and you go on a date with a man, you better have $200 in your pocket. So if that man acts up, you can go where you want to go. So I keep cash in my house. And I don't keep cash as good in my purse like I used to. Um, Mm. I don't go on many dates. But when you go on a date, you should have cash in your pocket. So my question was, where did that cash originally come from? (laughs) If it didn't come out of the bank. Cash is Uh, Ma'am, this is a Wendy's. Fungible. Um, I've had cash for years in my house. So for me to tell you the source of when it comes from, when you go to Publix and you buy something, you get $50, you throw it in there. It's been my whole life. When I took out a large amount of money on my first campaign, I kept some of the cash of that. Like, to tell you, Hmm. I just have cash in my house. I don't have as much today as I would normally have, but I'm building back up now. You just put money in. It's a very good practice. I would advise it to all women. Sure, sure. So she right now doesn't have thousands and thousands of dollars in cash like she used to, but uh, but she's she's building back up. Okay, and, and look, I think she's right. I think it's a it's a good piece of advice that if you're going out on a date, you have a couple hundred bucks in your purse because you never know what's going to happen. You want to make sure you're prepared for anything. I, I think that's a good thing for everybody to do. A lot of oh, people I, don't use cash now, and so they don't carry it ever. And it's like, well, you never know when there's a credit card machine down or the ATM is broke. You know, well, who knows what's going to happen? Have, be prepared with a couple hundred bucks. Sure. Yeah. $4,000 that you're just handing over on random occasions constantly to your boyfriend to pay for luxurious trips all over the world? Meh. Not so common. Well, no, not necessarily no, the same she, advice. Look, she took some money out of her first campaign and kept some of that cash. <laughs> now... Here's the good news, because I just I just got a, a, a letter in from a friend who said, so did Fannie Willis open herself up to an embezzlement investigation? <laughs> she stated her cash hoard, cash was fungible. Mm-hmm. She used some of her cash hoard for her campaign. Generally, that means she loaned her own cash to the campaign. Perfectly legal if you keep records of the money and how much money is moving. When it was over, presumably, she got paid back from her campaign via donors, I guess. Remember, she was allegedly a Soros-backed DA candidate. She kept some of that, she said. Well, there must, capital letters, must be records of both of those transactions because there's no way her campaign could have paid her back in cash. So at least she opened herself up to campaign finance investigation for how the money got in and out of her campaign and how she got paid back and how she turned the check or the bank wire from her campaign back to into cash for her hoard. Even if her campaign paid her back in cash, there must be a record. Otherwise, it's not legal. Kemp could refer this in and of itself to the state prosecutor's office and likely appoint a special prosecutor for investigation on this. 
I mean, it could theoretically be, right, that she withdrew this cash. She, at one point, talked about withdrawing $50,000 to pay for her campaign expenses in a campaign that she lost previously. And so she was complaining about how she had no money. And this is yeah, one of the things... Not, that's not possible. It's not possible. Well, she talked... It, this is what she said she no, did. I know, but may I just... Have you ever tried to withdraw a large sum of money from the bank? $10,000? $5,000? Yeah, I mean, not often, but... Uh, yeah, okay, attempted. ever. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't yeah. Think, I don't Attempted. Know, maybe. Okay. So you go in and you ask for fifty thousand dollars in cash. Never. The bank that. will. T- mm-hmm. Okay. The bank will tell you, we don't have that cash. You'll have to come back Tuesday or next week at some point. Is that true? Oh yeah. The reason I the asked banks- that. I was just reading this story from, and I think it was in our. It's in your uh, email newsletter today, but it's a story about uh, the the personal finance woman at New York magazine who got a call from someone who said they were from the government and needed her to put $50,000 into a shoebox and hand it to a guy in a car that was passing by. And she did it, <laughs> um, which is, I don't know that I'm taking her advice in future columns. Um, yeah. but, but she said in that story that she went in and withdrew $50,000 from her bank account and they, Maybe. the, the woman, they didn't even ask the bank didn't even ask her what it was for. Uh, which is to me was shocking. Yeah, well, the I, bank doesn't have the bank doesn't have to, but she would be setting off alarms over ten thousand. Right, it would be reported to the government. But uh, I know I have asked for a sum of money um, and was going to buy something in cash, and uh, I was I was put through the ringer on it and told it would be two weeks beforehand Jeez. because all of the money in the bank, at least it's the way it is in Texas. All of the money in our banks is not in the vault. They take that every night and they bring it to the treasury. And then the bank has to say how much money they need for daily operation. So when you go take a large sum of money out, you can't do it right away. Now, maybe that's different in Atlanta, but I highly doubt it. You know, and why would you take out cash? Well, yeah, and this is what I was was trying to get to is like if you took if you had $50,000 in the bank and you wanted to use it for your campaign, you would either take $50,000 out, as you pointed out, and loan it to your campaign, which would be a very normal way politicians, you wouldn't do that in cash, of course, but it would be a normal thing that politicians do. They take money out and loan to the campaign all the time. Um, That's very normal. However, um, you would either do it that way, and then there would be all the problems you just discussed, or you could theoretically take this money out for some reason and not and and give it to the campaign as it's needed, right? Like you wouldn't necessarily uh, give it all at once, but there'd be no reason to do that in in cash form. If you had to withdraw it no. from the bank anyway, you wouldn't put fifty thousand dollars at your house and then loan a thousand dollars a week to your campaign. Why would it makes you no keep sense. that? I mean, it makes no sense at all. It, why would you have fifty thousand dollars? Why would you want it in your house? No, it's it's a terrible idea. If anybody idea. found out that you had that in your house, it makes you and your family a target. And like, I don't Why know. Why would you want that? And how could they find out unless you happen to testify about it in in front of the entire country and tell everyone that you usually have tens of thousands of dollars at your home, which she did yesterday, I, which is a terrible idea. Terrible, <laughs> you know. And he, even he said, "Well, you know, if I had that much money in my house, I would never say that." Why would I say that? It'd make me a target. He said that. Yeah. She's like, well, I don't have as much now. You know, I've got, you know, maybe a couple hundred bucks, but I used to keep hundreds of thousands of dollars in my <laughs> Millions, house. billions yeah. of dollars. I could go on vacation. I like to pay, you know, 
I like to pay everything in cash because it doesn't it honestly it doesn't bring up any suspect uh you know on on my name or reputation. I go to the airport and I say I want a ticket to Aruba and I just put four thousand dollars down at the airport. They love it. They love it. Actually, no. Uh, I I have my boyfriend pay for it on his business card, and then I give him cash in return. It's even worse yeah. than you bringing the cash to the airport. It's it's so like so if if he turned that in that bank statement to his business, did he get reimbursed for it? Right. He or did he come to the did he come to the cashier and just pay that in cash? You know, at the at his at his place of business. Yeah, it's unclear. He kind of made it seem they did follow up and try to basically get him on the uh, the idea that he deducted this as a business expense, which he denied. He said he did not deduct it as a business expense. So he, you know, and this happens, you know, if you, especially if yeah. you're a small business owner, sometimes you put stuff on your card you don't even mean to. That's a personal thing, and you have to sure. make sure you keep detailed records to make sure that you know that that is not a business expense because you. D- could, Tailed records. Every you know any anybody who has these sorts of uh, arrangements. If you have a small business or something, you know how crazy you have to be on this stuff because they'll go after you for anything. So you have to keep detailed records. You know if you you transfer money from one account to another, you in the note you make sure you put in there. This is for a personal expense. Like you have to make sure you're really on top of this and you use the right cards for the right circumstances all the time. Because any competent person who really cares about getting this stuff right is going to make sure they're all over it. Oh, my gosh. These two would be an IRS dream. Imagine being an agent going, please, please assign them to me. Please let me look in. Uh, all right. And by the way, if they weren't, uh, if they weren't liberals, uh, the IRS would already be knocking at their door. You know, today is a great day to get a warranty. Actually, any day is a great day when you're not worrying about your appliances and home systems. That's what you get with an American Home Shield warranty. All the unexpected breakdowns like a leaky faucet or faulty water heater, they're not going to break the bank because covered repairs and replacements are all taken care of. Having reassurance is something to celebrate. Choose the plan that works for you and your budget. When a covered item in your home breaks, all you do is contact American Home Shield. Their trusted, qualified pros will fix or replace it based on the coverage limits in your agreement. When it comes to protecting your appliances and home systems, don't worry. Be warranty. Go to ahs.com slash Beck and save 20%. That's ahs.com slash Beck and get 20% off any plan. See ahs.com slash contracts for coverage details, including limit amounts, fees, limitations, and exclusions. New Jersey residents, the product being offered is a service contract and is separate and distinct from any product or service warranty which may be provided by the home builder or manufacturer.